Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Hello and welcome to episode number 36 of the North American Waterfowler podcast. This is a special Thursday episode. And I told you guys on the last two Thursdays ago that every other Thursday, two Thursdays a week, we were going to have Woody on for his top five. Now, these these episodes are obviously quite a bit different than just sitting and grinding out all of the waterfowl topics. I'm a little more humor based, matches my sense of humor. So if it matches yours, you're going to hear these every other Thursday is going to be just a little recap of what's going on in my life, comment of the week, and then Woody's top five. So Woody's going to come on in just a second. It will be his seventh appearance on the podcast. So from now on, you will know if you like these Woody episodes, you will know when to see them, when they're going to be, and I will put it in the title. So if it's not in the title... It's not going to be in, in the segment. So um, let me give you a little quick update. I am about ready in a couple of days to leave on another almost week-long trip. I, man, I'm just traveling so much. I just got back from the Louisiana trip, which is a trip of a lifetime. Had a week here at home, and now I'm taking off again. Georgie and Elijah and myself are going to go to Flatlander Kennels with Chris Jobman and do some training with them and some filming with them. And I'm just so excited about it. A little nervous. Um, I want him to think that I've done a satisfactory job with Georgie, but man, to get three days of training with them where Chris can coach me, he can see George Georgie firsthand so he can have a better idea of what I need to work on. Uh, just really, really excited and honored to be able to have the opportunity to do that. So that, that we're leaving here in a couple of days and 
going to train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, we got the day off. So Elijah and I are going to do some fishing out there in Nebraska in Matt from High Prairie Sportsman, his stomping ground. Unfortunately, Matt's not going to be around at that time, but he's on X'd me some pins of some possible trout fishing. We might go up into the sand hills, maybe run after some bass or maybe some pike. I don't know. I don't know. But then on Saturday and Sunday, Flatlander Kennels is putting on a seminar, an HRC seminar. And so we're going to be, Elijah and I, we've got two cameras going. And we're going to be running some video of that. And that's going to be really cool. If you know, if you haven't heard it yet, I've got a second podcast, uh, the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman, where it's just all dog stuff. And we have great guests on. And Chris is obviously the bulk of the content on that. And I just kind of facilitate it, do the editing, do the promotional stuff. Um, and then I'm there to give an amateur's perspective on things, which is really, really good because a lot of times when, you know, top level pros talk to other top level pros. They kind of speak in a language that your layman amateurs may not understand sometimes exactly what they're talking about. Cause I know that I find myself that way a little bit, like, you know, um, help for the amateurs perspective, help me break it down that way. So Georgie's fully healed. Now she is back in training. I got back from the Louisiana trip and, um, everything seemed to be healed up. Everything's fine. So we are back hitting the training hard. She's had some hiccups and some of the stuff. I'm feeling a little frustrated by it because I want her to be a little more fine-tuned than she is. So I'm having to regulate my emotions and get myself in check and make sure that I'm being strategic. And one one problem I have with training is, is like there is a lot of momentary decisions that you have to make when you're working these dogs for like hunt tests. So, for example, I've been working all off-season on um, – de-cheating which in these hunt tests they don't want dogs running the bank they want them going directly through the water on a straight line and i've seen this firsthand and i've got a lot of people say i want my dog getting into as fast as i can and i want them running that bank because they're going to get there faster and yes that is true they're going to get there faster but i have seen this firsthand if the, if it is a longer you get a hundred yard bird where they've got to cut through some water if they run the bank they are they tend to lose the line. If they run a straight line and go through water, they're much more likely to can keep their memory of that line and get all the way to it. And I've seen this with Georgie firsthand. I, she's in a decent place with it where she's cutting through the water, but she's still being sucked, especially on banks that have a curvature to it, a circular curvature to it. She's getting sucked into that bank. And so she's going through the water, but it's still at like a, a circuit, not a, you know, a curving pattern a little bit. And I'm trying to break that out of her. And when she does that, she loses her line on the bird and she will hunt to the left of it. And I've seen it over and over again. And so I'm trying to get her to stop doing that. But my problem is it's like these decisions I'm having to make in the heat of the moment. So I got fumbles throwing a bumper up a hill. She's got to cross through a little bit of water. If she starts sucking to the left and getting off the line, it's like how at what point am I going to a blow the whistle and stop her because she's not doing all I want, and b when I do blow the whistle and stop her, what am I going to do with her? And so my method is stop her. Well, let me just say what I want to do is stop her with the whistle if she's going if she's sucking to the bank too much on a mark. Stop her with the whistle. 
have her look at me, give her a nick, bring her back a little bit, cast her back into the water. But Georgie's so fast that I, I am not controlling my emotions very well. So I'm getting a little flustered and I tend to blow the whistle and, and Nick at the same time, which in her mind, I think she thinks that means sit as fast. I don't think that she's, if I don't Nick at the right time, she's not getting the right message. If I Nick and hit the whistle at the same time, I think that she's feels like she's being corrected for not sitting fast enough. Because when she doesn't sit fast enough, that's what I do. I hit the whistle. If she, I hit the whistle. If she doesn't sit immediately, I nick her until she's sitting down. And so I think that she's not getting the message right because I'm not, I'm getting too amped up. So I was telling my dad, I've got to, every time before we do a drill, I've got to go through my head. Here's exactly what I expect. If I don't get it, here's exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to handle it. And repeat that before every single mark. Because I'm just getting a little too flustered and kind of training like a chicken with med cut off in those situations where it's like it's all happening so fast. I needed to slow down in my mind a little bit. So we've been working on that. Um, We've been working on long long marks. Luckily, I've been had the privilege of working with a bunch with my buddy Cole who his dog Delta is just man he has got that dog so fine-tuned right now I mean he just passed his first uh, Delta's got two finished HRC finished test passes Georgie's got one Georgie's one for one Delta's two for two in fact Georgie's never never failed a hunt test yet I think it's coming but she she hasn't she is six for six one started two seasoned or no one started four seasoned one finished, but, um, Delta, I'm man, it's, it's, it, that dog is on fire. He has got that dog so finely tuned right now. I love it. I love that dog. Um, but we've been working a lot and my buddy Jacob who he, his dog just passed the amateur nationals, the AKC amateur nationals. He's got a British lab and that is a huge, huge, to do so I, i'm really really lucky that i've got some training partners to work on this stuff with so anyway we're going out to flatlander kennels and we're going to be there probably arrive monday be there tuesday wednesday thursday of training day off friday saturday sunday seminar run a video and come back so i'm really really excited about that and don't forget to don't forget to listen to that podcast too now as far as north american waterfowler if you want more of this content Freelance, uh, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting, where you can get access to the North American waterfowl app. You can get access to a video series about all the different hunting topics. You can have access to exclusive content. You can be entered in the, um, podcast giveaway, which I'm having my fourth Scott Hill one last month. He's going to be on here in a week or so. He's the fourth winner of that. And the big one is the hunt giveaway for this year. This is year three of it. I don't know where we're going to be hunting. More than likely, you'll probably just um, come stay around me somewhere. Um, and we'll, we'll hunt around here. I don't know. I don't know. But you want to get entered in that. Those weekends, those hunt giveaway weekends are so much fun. Patreon.com slash freelance. And it just really helps what I'm doing here. It really helps what I'm doing here. 
This stuff takes a lot of time, lots of money. I can tell you that when I look at all my expenditures every year, there's not big net gains with this stuff. And it's a lot of equipment, a lot of time. I love doing it, but people tend to think that those of us are doing this stuff are just making all this bank. We're not. It takes a lot of money. Man, this app is just breaking me. <laughs> but I'm not complaining. I love it. I love this life of the videos, the podcast. Absolutely love doing it. But so if you want more of it, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And on Facebook, the North American Waterfowler Podcast Facebook group. Come and join over there. So let's go ahead and jump into the comment of the week. It's time for the comment of the week. All right. So um, I put out a video like three years ago. There are certain videos on YouTube that do really, really well and just keep getting views. And this is one of those. So it was shotguns, Beretta versus Stoger. Which one is better? And I got recently got a comment on this from a guy named Caesar. And he said, I just got a new A300 Beretta and I took it out of the box. And I noticed that when I try to pull the bolt handle, it's almost impossible. It's stuck. I have to wear gloves or grab it with a towel and pull it back because it's just so hard to do. Is this normal for the new Beretta? Will it get softer once I run 150 to 200 shells? So this video, I made a comparison between the Stoger A3000 and the Breda A300. At that time, uh, I was using the A300. My buddy Dan was using the A300. And Aiden was using the Stoger M3000. So that's why I felt like I could really compare these. I had actually shot the Stoger a little bit. That's And, and their price point is about the same. They're entry-level shotguns. So I thought that I was knowledgeable enough to do a little comparison between the two pros and cons, which one should you buy? And I want to talk specifically to the A300 in response to this comment. Uh, when I was getting ready to buy the A300, the thing I liked about it, it's an entry-level semi-automatic shotgun. So I actually, I got this thing for just like $5.99 at Cabela's. I found some special coupons. Normally about a $6.50, $7 shotgun, I think. Um, and I was watch, looking online and, and listening and checking out reviews and all I saw was awesome gun, awesome gun, awesome gun, awesome gun. That's all I saw. It just seemed like a no brainer to get the shotgun. And I will tell you, I used it, Dan used it and Jake from chasing green used it. And all three of us agree. We would never, ever purchase another bread at a 300. Within the first year, this gun started rusting. Like hunt seven or eight, I was noticing rust on it. I constantly had cycling issues with this gun. It was to the point where I was about ready to quit to sell it. After season two, I think, two or three, I said, if this problem doesn't, it doesn't get better, I'm selling this gun. And then that year, I figured out, well, in between hunts, if I spray oil inside the gun, then it mostly takes care of the problem. Mostly takes care of the problem. Not all, not all the way enough that I wasn't, I didn't, it didn't end up selling it, but you had to spray it down to every single hunt, um, which you shouldn't have to do. My dad had a bread, a black Eagle two, I'm sorry, Benelli black Eagle two. 
for 25 years and he hardly ever sprayed that thing down. He hardly, I don't, he just didn't hardly clean it. And that thing just were, was a champ his whole life. Now the last couple of years it's been having a few issues after like 25 years, but this Beretta, you just shouldn't have to have that much care to a good shotgun. Dan had all sorts of problems with it. I don't remember what the problems Dan was having, but he had all sorts of problems with his A300. Jake had all sorts of problems with his A300. So I know three of these guns have personally been used by myself and two others, and we all agree that it's not a good gun. It's just not. So to answer Caesar, if you get a new gun right out of the box, it should work like a champ. Now, there are sometimes if you're shooting really light loads through these guns, that then they're not quite broken in properly, that over time they can get a little bit better and you may see get some cycling issues. Um, but nothing like that. I mean, you should get a gun out of the out of the box and it should you should be thrilled with it. You really should. And I will say the the Stoger, Aiden had tons of problem with that Stoger too, that M three thousand. He had to send it back. He had tons of problem. He doesn't shoot anymore. So no one Jake doesn't shoot his A300 anymore. I don't shoot. I've still got it. I don't shoot it. I'm shooting Weatherby 18i, which I have had some issues with that as well as far as the cycling. Um, and it's a lot more expensive shotgun. But just so my, after using it for, how many years did I use it? Seven years, I would say don't get a Brett A300. That's just my personal opinion. I don't, I don't think it's a quality shotgun. And from what I saw of the Stoger, I didn't think that was a quality shotgun either. But... If you go online for both of these shotguns, you will see many, many, many people singing their praises. So this is just my personal perspective from my own experience. If you have one and you love it, then then great. I'm glad I'm glad it's worked out for you. But for me, it just hasn't. So let's go ahead and take a really quick break and then we will come back with Woody's top five. All right, so like I said, every other Thursday, two Thursdays a month, we're going to have my main man Woody on here to give us a top five. So let's get into that right now. All right, boys, let's get this wrapped up so we can get back to hunting. Yeah, it's Woody's top five countdown. How's it going, Woody? You there? Hey, Ellie. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry, Miss. Me and Miss Larnetta, we went to the Steak and Shake tonight, and I don't. I've got a little lactose intolerance issue, and so on. Every time I, I, I don't normally get a milkshake, but they had them on special tonight, so I got me an extra large one. I got a little phlegm going on in the back of my throat, but I'll push through for you. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you have a, if you're lactose intolerant, why'd you get an extra large milkshake? Well, sometimes it's just hard to pass up something that good, you know. Yeah. It's just that, that I don't know, just with a with a big old triple cheeseburger like I had there, and them fries with the cheese sauce all over it, and then 
couple jalapeno peppers on there. That milk milkshake just sets it off. It's perfect. What's it's worth it's worth the it's worth the uh, it's worth the the risk, I, I suppose. Just out of curiosity, what's the, what's the scale saying lately there, Woody? On you mean talk about my cholesterol no, <laughs> or my blood pressure? I'm talking about the scale. Have you stood sc- stood on a scale lately? Uh, yeah, yeah, I stepped on it the other day, and uh, I'll tell you, I've, I've been working. Me and Miss Larnetta, we both been working on this. I started off right after Christmas this year. I'm embarrassed to say this out loud. You, y'all, you ain't gonna share this part, are you? I was 275 pounds, Elliot. Wow, that's that's almost too heavy to play in the National Football League. <laughs> You're getting there. <sighs> Mercy, but I'm down to 224 pounds now. So I. I've oh lost just gosh. that 50 pounds since Christmas. I've been working at it wow. pretty hard. Been oh, working at it. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. 50 pounds. I got to get healthy. If I'm ever going to come out there to Kansas and go duck hunting with you, I'm going to have to slim down a little bit. Try well, to fit in one of them. It's little... always open. You're, you're always welcome. I, I want to look good in my Lulu Row skinny pants when I get in that kayak and paddle around with you. <laughs> right. Well, if you're going to be in the kayak, as we know, you have to wear really tight pants. <laughs> Gotta wear them little bicycle shorts. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got a top five for you tonight. The last one was such a big I Miss Larnetta, I I played it back for. I played the podcast back for because I I wanted to get her critique on the last top five. And she told me I got a little too worked up. She's she's almost embarrassed. She said that that I was uh got a little out of control. So I'll try to scale it back this time. I'll try to be a little more Sorry. I tell you. Hey, the good news is we ought to be done here before that milkshake works its way to the to the south pole of the of the situation. Because that the mucus in my throat is the 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 least of your worries if you if you're around me after I've had a milkshake. Anyhow, I better move on before things get moving. Uh number five on the this is the top five ways to initiate newbie hunters all right top five ways to initiate newbie hunters now um number five is leave early and stay late if you're not wearing them if you take a new hunter hunting and you're back home by eight o'clock you get out there right at daylight get back home by eight o'clock they ain't really been hunting they may have been shooting and they may have had a fun adventure, but but they ain't really been hunting. You're not. You know how this is. If you don't, if you don't take them early, and keep them out there as long as possible, make them miserable, then they really ain't got the full feeling of what it's like to go hunting. Now I know you. I know you're into that full immersion hunting, and so I, I have a feeling you probably kind of feel the same way about it. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta you gotta break someone's down mentally. And uh, make sure that they're, you know, sweating, feeling all dejected. They've got to know the worst of it. You got oh, yeah. to really put them to it. It's kind of like the military. You know, you've got to, you've got to strip them all the way down to just the bare essentials and then build them back up. And, and uh, exhaustion is one of the best ways to do that. All right, number four. Number four is leave them high and dry. Now, this is, if you're going to initiate a new hunter, one of the best ways to do it is to, Drop them off somewhere and say, all right, I'll be back in 10 minutes to pick you up. Drop them off someplace where they can't walk to safety and then take off and go, 
<laughs> go spend. <laughs> See, this happened with me and Lim one time. Now, I wasn't trying to initiate a newbie hunter, but it, it worked out well, and it, it gave me the idea to do this to some other folks uh, through the years. But this is years. I'm talking just probably the Ronald Reagan administration or shortly thereafter. Me and old Lim, we was... Uh, we was going to go duck hunting one morning. Now, back then, we didn't have us a nice boat. I had a $20 canoe that we we bought, and uh, old Lim didn't even have any kind of waders. All I had was hip waders, and Lim had the little, the little black and yellow boots they give you when you work for the volunteer fire department. See, Lim had him a, a short run with the volunteer fire department. Well, I don't reckon I can probably tell you all the details about that because I don't know what the statute of limitations is on that kind of stuff. But anyhow, old Lim got kicked off the fire department, but they didn't make him give the boots back. So that's what he wore hunting all the time was them yellow and black fire boots. Now, we had us a little spot there in the woods that we like to hunt called a hickory hump. It was just a little pile of dirt that stuck up kind of higher than all the other dirt around it. And when the woods would flood in there, then it just made a nice little dry spot where you could stand up on it and not be in the water. Well, we got it, got there in the woods, and I could hear the mallards hollering way off up in the in the, the river bottom. And I said, Lim, I'm going to drop you off right here at the hickory hump, and then I'm going to go take rounders on them. I'm going to swing around through the, the river bottom. Well, I don't know if this ever happened to you, Elliot, but I got a little distracted because once I got down there, I bet I kicked out two, three thousand greenhead mallards out of that river bottom. And well, when you kick up mallards like that out of a river bottom, they don't always leave. They just kind of get up and fly around and they come right back in. And well, I didn't want to pass up an opportunity like that. And so a couple of big old fat greenhead mallards come in there and I dropped them right there, just right in front of the, the canoe and picked them up and then paddled a little further and couple more come flying over and I shot me one a couple of wood ducks well before long it been nearly two hours and I was still <laughs> still off in the <laughs> river bottom and all of a sudden I heard shots go now this was back when Lim had his old single shot shotgun I heard a shot go off I thought oh good Lim's getting him some shooting finally and then I heard another one and then another and before I knew it, Lim had shot 15 times, all one, just one right after the other. And I knew he wasn't shooting ducks because Lim would have, he'd have never shot that many times at a duck or he wouldn't have gone over the limit. I thought, boy, I better go see what's wrong with old Lim. So I gathered up my ducks that I had there and headed off down the creek. I could hear him hollering when I got within about 100 yards. He's hollering, come get me right now. Get over here and get me right now. Well, I went paddling over that direction. I said, Lemia, I'm sorry. I, I got into the mallards. And he, he said, I don't want to hear your stories. Get me to the bank. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, I've got to go to the bathroom, and you've been gone nearly two hours and left me standing out here in this water. I said, well, why didn't you stay up on top of that hump there where it was dry? He said, I'm on top of the hump. Elliot, the water was halfway to his crotch, between his knees and his crotch. I didn't realize the river was coming up quite that fast. <laughs> I'd left old Lim standing out there in a pair of knee boots. He had water all the way up, and, and his stomach was hurting him pretty bad, and he had to he had to get to the bank. So anyhow, I I nearly lost me a good friend that day. and <laughs> took me a long time. Well, the next several times we went hunting, I stayed on the hickory hump, and I let Lim take the canoe and go go 
down through the bottom because uh, I felt so bad about it. Anyhow, that's a good way to initiate a new hunter is leave them high and dry somewhere. Stand them up on a log and tell them you'll be right back and let them sit there a couple hours. And they get to know a lot about themselves and what kind of hunter they are if you leave them like that. All right, number three, the blood mask. Now, this one doesn't doesn't apply so much when you're a waterfowl hunter because you, you don't typically gut the wild game right there in, in the woods unless you're going to eat them or something while you're hunting. But this is one that uh, I've done this with quite a few deer hunters. I take them out for the first time. They shoot their feathers, shoot a little spike buck or a little six pointer or a doe or whatever. And uh, I, I typically volunteer to gut the deer for them, pull all the entrails out. Not so much because I'm that great of a person. It's just that a newbie hunter is probably going to stick their knife in there and cut those guts open, and I just can't hardly stand the smell of it. But there's a lot of blood there, and so it's always kind of nice to say, here, this is this is tradition. When you, you kill your first deer, we're going to give you a little blood mask on your face there. But you got to sl- the, the, the key to it is you got to get your hand good and bloody and then accidentally slip and just kind of rub it all over their face, get it in their nose and their mouth a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, they may throw up a little bit. Point is, it it helps. You know what they say? What is it? What doesn't What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so, giving them a good blood mask helps them really connect with their roots. You know, of a, right, you know, a hunter right. and a gatherer. And all. I don't know if y'all do that with ducks or not. You probably just. No, I've never done that. Something. I've never done that. Well, maybe you should start. Maybe that. Maybe that golden you come boy. Come on down here to Kansas with me, and we'll we'll blood mask. <laughs> Maybe that golden boy feller would have turned out a little better if you'd done that with him that first day instead of <laughs> he, instead yeah, of just feeding he, him rotten chef boy RD and giving him the runs. All right, number two, frigid cold. If a person, if he's a new hunter, and you really want to introduce him to the sport, take him out on a day when it's about eighteen degrees with about twenty-five mile per hour winds. Keep them out there all day. And then you'll really find out. Uh, you'll really find out what kind of hunter you are. Nothing, I guarantee you, nothing will remind a person of their first hunt like the, you know, missing the ends of a couple of your toes or fingers from frostbite. As always, serve serve as a reminder every time they look at that misshapen foot. They'll remember that how much fun they had that first time. <laughs> all right, number one. I would never actually do that, but. I may have caused somebody to lose part of an ear at one point, but I ain't going to go into that story because, again, I'm not sure about all the statute limitations, lawsuits and such. Number one, number one is gut bucket duty. Now, I learned this one as a young boy when we'd go squirrel hunting. We'd come in from, now we squirrel hunted in August and September, and it was hot, and them old squirrels smelled pretty bad. We'd gut us 20 or 30 squirrels in an old metal bucket there, and then my daddy'd say, all right, go out there in the field and bury them. And I had to go out and dig a hole, typically in the garden or the bean field there behind the house or something. Go out and dig a hole and dump all them squirrel guts in. Now, just say you can apply this to about any kind of hunting, but squirrel guts and fish guts just seem to be perfect for this. There's, there's nothing like the smell of a hot bucket of squirrel guts. It gets up in your nose kind of burns itself into your brain and i tell you what i'm i'm a pretty old feller and i can still remember the first time that ever i, I remember that smell mm. i remember that smell like i remember my grandma's house 
Not that there's the same smell. I'm just saying. I still remember that smell to this day. Every time I get a chance, I let somebody have a bucket full of guts and tell them to go dig a hole and bury it. It's a good way to introduce them to hunt. That's your top five right there. Oh, I know what I was going to say to go along with that. I think I'm going I'm to have, I think I need to have a plaque or maybe a t-shirt or something made that says, if they ain't throwing up, they ain't growing up. I think that's pretty, that's pretty fitting because I've, I've heaved over the top of a bucket of guts on more than one occasion as a boy. Anyway, there you go. There's your top five. Top five ways to introduce a newbie hunter to the sport. All right. Well, thank you for coming on here again. Are you willing to come back again for another one? Brother, you call me anytime. I've always got a bunch of malarkey I can spend for you. All right. Well, we appreciate having you on. Until next time, this has been Woody's Top 5. Well, you have just listened to Woody's Top 5. This is North American Waterfowler Podcast. So that's all I've got for you guys today. Don't forget, go on over there to patreon.com slash freelancestuckhunting. Join us. Get signed up for this cool stuff we've got going on over there. And as always, you can reach me at freelanceduckhunting at gmail.com or on Instagram at freelanceduckhunting or at the Facebook group or Patreon. Love to hear from you guys. Until next time, you've just listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. <laughs>